0: Hey guys, what's up? It's John Michaels from the front row. It's time for the Stream of Conscious podcast. A lot to dive into today. And we're going to make this a a daily thing. It's not going to be a weekly thing anymore. We're going to start doing this daily. It's going to be kind of the show after the show. We'll dive into Georgia Tech, the unlucky draw that the Yellow Jackets had, the crazy NCAA tournament, how that morphed into a college football playoff expansion conversation. What the Falcon, like what the heck are the Falcons doing right now? We've got the dumbest father in the history of father coming up next it's time for the stream of conscious we'll talk all about the tournament
1: this is John michael's stream of consciousness the warm air the sounds of baseball it's got you thinking about hitting the road and no matter where your adventures take you subaru of guinette has a vehicle to get you there safely and in style like the 2024 subaru outback sporting standard symmetrical all-wheel drive and up to 32 miles per gallon or the 2024 Subaru Forester, the SUV with a spacious and comfortable interior for everyone you want to bring along. Start your shopping online at SubaruofGwinnett.com. Then come see us for a test drive on Satellite Boulevard in Duluth.
0: Spring is here and baseball is back. You can't forget the Derby. I love the hats.
1: John Michaels tends to say whatever comes to mind, so we just put a mic in front of him. All you do is talk, 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 This is John Michaels' stream of consciousness, the podcast that gets into, well, just about everything. Feeling stupid? I know I am. From 680 The Fan and thepodcastpark.com. It's showtime, and I don't mean a bad impression
0: of HBO. I mean time for a show. So it's been about 10 days since Georgia Tech got their draw in the NCAA tournament. And unfortunately, now that we're talking about them, they're no longer in the NCAA tournament. Very tough loss in the opening round to Loyola Chicago. The Ramblers were able to knock out Georgia Tech in a game that the Jackets obviously did not have Moses Wright. And it hurts. It stinks when you have such a great end of the season as Josh Pastner and his team did to now have to sit there and go into the tournament without the best player in the ACC, the ACC Player of the Year in Moses Wright. And it's disappointing. It was just as disappointing though on Selection Sunday when you saw the selection come down the way that it did. You mean to tell me an ACC tournament champion who had won eight games in a row, and I get it, the ACC was down this year. And judging by the first couple of days of the tournament, you see, they're not very good. But you mean to tell me that's a nine seed when the AP poll has the Yellow Jackets ranked as the 26th ranked team in the country? It's ridiculous to think that that's how the seeding fell. And then when you looked at their opponent in Loyola, Chicago, you go, holy cow, this is a team that probably should be about a four seed. And maybe something needs to be done with the way that the NCAA tournament goes about seeding because a lot of times it comes down to name recognition over the actual merits of the team. That are there because let's be honest, if Georgia Tech's name was Duke or North Carolina, they're at worst a four seed. And I get it. You lost to Georgia State, you lost to Mercer to start the year. You really were sitting at nine and eight, scuffling throughout the season. But Georgia Tech was a nine seed because their name was Georgia Tech. Then you get into the tournament. Unfortunately, COVID wrecks everything that happens with the Yellow Jackets. Moses Wright unable to play, and it stinks. You don't get to go into the game with the proverbial loaded gun. And the game kind of swings on the fact that Moses Wright isn't there. Georgia Tech gets off to a great start. We all saw it. 13 3. Jackets are playing defense, they're confusing Loyola. But unlike Florida State in the final, who turned the game over or turned it over, what, 26 27 times, Loyola was a veteran and is a veteran basketball team that slowed the pace down and they basically grinded it to a halt. Georgia Tech then responds in the second half. Another good push by Josh Pastner's crew to start things. And then down the stretch, Georgia Tech, A, couldn't get the shots that they wanted. And then, B, Loyola had figured out that kind of matchup amoeba zone that Josh Pastner was throwing at them, and they were getting open looks. And guys like Williamson and others were starting to knock down shots. Unfortunately for Georgia Tech, this is going to go down as one of the great what could have been years in the season and in school history. Because when you looked at what happened on Sunday afternoon, Loyola Chicago was able to go out and really dominate Illinois from start to finish. Now, I'm not saying that Georgia Tech would have done exactly the same, because nothing in their blood had shown they were going to go out and dominate a number one seed in Illinois. But you like to have that puncher's chance in the NCAA tournament. Give me the one game where I get a chance to go out and play. And we were talking about this a little bit this morning, and I wanted to dive into this a little more. This is a time, and again, I hate to get into kids' finances because at 21 or 22, hell, if I had a chance to play in Europe or the G League, I probably would have done so. But this could be a really special group if these kids all decide to come back. I took a look at Tankathon and a couple of of the other NBA mock drafts, and what I saw was Moses Wright's name's not on there. Jordan Usher's name's not on there. Michael DeVoe's name's not on there. Jose Alvarado's names are not on there. And that means first or second round these guys may not get drafted. If I'm a kid that's not with a draftable grade, preferably in the NBA, a first round draftable grade, my advice is go back to school specifically when the NCAA is giving you a freebie. And that freebie is simply, we're going to let you come back to school and play a year for free. Now, typically, I would tell somebody in a heartbeat, hey, you need to go ahead and turn pro and go get the money while the money is good. And Moses Wright may be a guy, he may be the one exception of the rule in this group, go strike while the iron is hot. Go be a kid right now that, hey, I was just ACC player of the year, That's probably not going to happen again. I had an unbelievable February and March, and I didn't get a chance to go out the way that I wanted. That's probably not going to happen again. So maybe he's a kid that goes, you know what? I'm going to go show up to somebody's camp. I'm going to show them the unbelievable growth that I've had over four years here in Atlanta, and I'm going to take those talents to the NBA or the G League or whatever it may be. Because let's be honest, the NBA or the G League right now potentially are going to make more money than staying on campus at Georgia Tech. But for Josh Passner, it's how do you go ahead and take what you did in 2020 slash 2021 and build on that? Getting these kids to come back. And Jose Alvarado, you heard it this morning on the front row, very, very emotional, saying, hey, i got to go home and talk with some people. I understand Jose has a young child, maybe two years or younger, and he might be to the point where, hey, 50 grand is better than zero grand. 100 grand is better than zero grand. And I think he's a kid that has a chance to potentially make it to the league. But it's going to be that G League NBA grind, I think, for Jose to get there. I hope I'm wrong. I hope these guys come back. And again, this is selfish sportscaster guy here saying come back to school, take care of everything, have another special team. Coach Passner, he's got himself a top 15 recruiting class already inked for next year. That'll give you some of the needed depth where you're not just playing seven guys and maybe the Jackets could start to build this thing and get back to where they were in the 80s and the 90s under Bobby Cremins, and even early on uh, uh, when they make it to the Final Four in 2004 under Paul Hewitt. Maybe they can get back to those type of basketball teams, but it was a hell of a year. I'm not going to sit back and go, oh, it stinks, you lost to Loyola Chicago. This was a team that if you would have told us back in November when they lost to Georgia State and Mercer in back-to-back games that they'd not only be in the NCAA tournament, but they'd be representing it as the ACC tournament champions, I would have thought you were completely crazy. My thoughts on the tourney, first and foremost, and it's a Monday if you're listening to this right now, I hate the fact that we have uh, Monday games going on in the second round of the tournament. It just doesn't feel right. Now, I get it. It's a COVID and it's a bubble scenario. These games belong on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Then next week for the Elite Eight or the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight, it belongs Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We as Americans, we don't like change. Let's be real. I don't want to change. I woke up this morning. I go, oh, my God, my Sweet 16 isn't even set yet because we still got a bunch of games to play today. I don't mind. You know, maybe in this first weekend, having the game on Monday. But next week, I want Sunday at the end of the day to know who my final four is going to be. And that's not the way that it's going to work out. Again, could be a one-year anomaly. It could be everything that you want uh, just because of COVID. The second part to this, I love the upsets. I know there's a lot of people that sit back and go, wait, wait, wait. I don't want to see Abilene Christian playing. I don't want to see Oral Roberts playing. I don't want to see, you know, insert Loyola Chicago going to the Sweet 16. I want Duke. I want Carolina. I want this, that, and the other. What we were talking about this morning, and maybe I'm diametrically opposed to everything that is uh, change, uh, you know, as far as people that are opposing change in college football. I love these stories. Now, do I think Loyola Chicago can make the Final Four? You're damn right I can. They just knocked off the number one team. Do I think Abilene Christian does? No. Do I think Oral Roberts does? No. Do I think, you know, I, I, what's some of the other ones? Oregon State is a 12 seed makes it? No. I don't think any of those teams are making Final four runs. Loyola Chicago, different story. Again, that's a team that probably should have been seeded third, fourth, fifth in the NCAA tournament. I like this. Part of the allure... And the drama of college basketball and specifically the bracket and the NCAA tournament is you get people now that normally would not watch college hoops are locked in. Whether it's the secretary, whether it's the guy that works in accounting, whether it's uh, Jimmy that loads trucks that doesn't care about sports. You know why they all are into this? Because they have that piece of paper with their chance to win whatever the, the, the pot may be in your bracket challenge. We had our Harris Cherokee Casino Twitter uh, uh, bracket challenge here on the station. I'm near the bottom. I don't care. I'd rather somebody that said, "Oh, I like Ab- I was. I attended Abilene Christian, so I picked them. I attended Ohio, like our sales manager Colin Wheat did. I want those guys to win stuff like this. My job is to analyze after the games or before the games. I make educated guesses like everybody else, but I think what's great about the tournament is this. Now, do I want to see Gonzaga win the national title? Yes. Or would I like to see Michigan and Jawan Howard win the national title? Yes. I'd like to see that because what I don't want to remember is 15 years from now. My God, Loyola Chicago just won a national championship? Don't need that. Love Sister Jean. Love the run to the Final Four. But I want to see one of the Blue Bloods or one of the Powers. And Michigan hadn't won a title in a long time, and Mark Few has never gotten over the hump at Gonzaga. So I'd like to see one of them win a championship. We'll continue this conversation in a moment. And how this equates to college football. I think change is inevitable and change is needed. More to come on the Stream of Conscious podcast. So here's the way this breaks down for me on where the NCAA tournament gets into the college football conversation. And Roddy Jones and Dan Matthews and I are completely on opposite ends of the spectrum. Neither one of them are really in favor of going to eight. They're saying, hey, 14 playoffs is fine. And I know a lot of listeners to 680, the fans say the same thing. They go, man, I just don't want to go and add an extra round. Oh, we're going to see is blowout. I say nonsense. Why do you just assume that only we're going to see blowouts? Why? Because the previous semifinal matchups have mostly been blowouts? If that's the case, why do we watch college football? Because most Saturdays are blowouts. What we like to see are those one or two Saturdays for our team where you have a close football game. Think about it for a year ago. How many games did Alabama blow out? Pretty much all of them a year ago. I mean, it was literally blowout city and that was it. They win a national championship. But let's go back through some of the scores for Alabama the year previous. What did they do to blow people out? Let's see. Blowout at the very very beginning of the year. Blowout uh, continuing on throughout the season. Blowout here, blowout there, and blowout everywhere. None of them were close. They literally did not have games that were really competitive throughout the entire year. You think about it. It's 38-19 to Missouri to start. Your closest game, and I'm just scrolling through quickly, is literally Georgia, and it's a 41-24 game. They won by 17. Florida was close in the SEC title game. Notre Dame wasn't close, and the championship game wasn't close. So in a what? 13 or 14-game year for the Crimson Tide, I think, is what it ends up being. 13 games is what it ends up being. They go undefeated. They had one game that was remotely close. Oh, I know people look and go, oh, Ole Miss put up 48. Did anybody in their right mind think Ole Miss was going to beat Alabama? No. Georgia led them at halftime, and Florida, obviously, was competitive all the way to the end where the Gators just could not get a stop when it was needed. Does that make you change watching Alabama? No, you watch the games because that's your team. Georgia, same thing. When they're blowing teams out 31-0, you're still sitting down and watching. So I hate the argument that blowouts will get you away from expanding the playoffs. What I think expansion will do in college football, and we'll talk about this on this podcast a ton, what expansion will do for college football is it's going to level the playing field. Right now the playing field is Alabama, Clemson, Step down, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Georgia, LSU, probably, if you want to throw them even though they were terrible a year ago. That's your tiers in college football. It's two, and then it's a step down to the next couple, and then everybody else is basically playing for grab-ass bowl games. And that's it. That's the reality of college football. If you expand this to eight, and you make the conference championship game matter. Well, then guess what? All of a sudden, three loss Missouri. If they're able to beat Alabama, they're in the playoffs. And then suddenly you have two at-large teams. So the Power Five super teams, Georgia, Oklahoma, Ohio State, teams that may get out because they've lost a the game during the regular season, now you got a second way in. And then you get the seat at the table for the Group of Five team. And I know a lot of people hate that. Oh, the Group of Five, they suck. Play better schedules is whatever you hear. That's baloney. What, what's Central? And I use Central Florida for an example. What the hell are they supposed to do to play a better schedule? Do you want them to go out and get Georgia, Florida, Alabama, and USC plus their conference schedule? Because that's what a lot of you say on social media. First of all, Georgia, Florida, Alabama, and USC are not going to say all in one year, we're playing Central Florida, or we're playing Boise State, or we're playing Cincinnati. Those schools are lucky to get one Power 5 team. And I'm talking about one good Power 5 team. Like Central Florida had scheduled North Carolina a couple of years ago. Well, when they scheduled Carolina, they were really good. By the time they played Carolina, they were terrible, and now Carolina's good again. Same thing with Pitt or a Louisville or somebody like that. I hate to tell you a lot of the power five schools don't want to play group of five teams like Central Florida. My point to this is all of a sudden you may instead of having 10 teams that have a legit shot at winning a national title, you might have 28 that have a shot at the playoffs. And think about it when it's it's equal to college basketball. UCLA didn't have a good year this year. But if they win, they go to the Sweet 16, and suddenly everybody's going to remember UCLA was in the Sweet 16. Just think about if you're Georgia a year ago, and you go 8-2. and two. Most people said it's a disappointment, and it was, because you're a team that was supposed to contend for the playoffs, and you didn't. Your season was over in October when Florida wiped the floor with you in the cocktail party. How much different does that look if Georgia gets to the college football playoff? Win, lose, or draw in the opening round as a four, or they would have been like the five or the six seed, maybe the six seed. They're the six seed, and they lose. And actually, if they play Notre Dame, they might win the game. And all of a sudden, you get to the semifinals, all bets are off. Kirby Smart doesn't have as much pressure going into this offseason. But because you didn't make the playoffs, and you didn't really have an example, didn't have a road to get there, suddenly your season's seen as a failure. This is where I look at the upsets in college basketball and go, you know what, even if I got one upset every four or five years, an eight beats a one. It's damn well worth it. 16, it took, what, 35 years for a 16 seed to beat a one? And guess what? It was the most satisfying thing. Sorry, Matt Schaub, unless you were a Virginia fan, to see a 16 finally beat a one. We've had nine 15s beat a two over the history of the tournament since it's expanded to 64 games, 64 teams, excuse me, I think back in 1985. We've had 15, or I'm sorry, nine 15s beating a two. This is just the second 15 to make it to the sweet 16, and we all love it. We are absolutely loving this right now. And what we can get from that will simply be better opportunities for more teams in college football. I love the upset. I know there's a lot of you guys that don't love the upset, but I think when this starts to uh, come to fruition, and it's going to, let's be real. Coming up literally in two years when this contract is up in college football, it's going to go to eight. So just get your arms wrapped around that, that it's coming, and embrace it. You think back 30 years ago, 35 years ago, nobody wanted to expand the college basketball tournament to 64 teams. I now can't imagine it any other way. Now, the 68, I don't need the play-in games. I don't need any of that. Our play-in games will be conference championship games. Will there be years that a four-loss USC knocks off an undefeated Oregon and they get in the playoffs? Yes. My answer to people that don't like that, win the damn game in front of you. Few more things I wanted to knock out here before we got out of here. Falcons continue to kind of just be stuck in that in that mix of we really don't have any money to do anything. They sign a couple of ancillary players. Eric Harris may end up being one of your starting safeties. Brandon Copeland, a guy who's mostly a special teamer, or will be a depth guy. Fits the size of what Dean Pease is looking for, 6'3", 250-some-odd pounds, somewhere in that range. So you like to see a couple of small pieces added. We knew this offseason they would never be players for anything, but something that was said in The Athletic today uh, shocked me a little bit. Apparently they have not even reached out to Grady Jarrett as of yet to restructure the deal. I looked at him as a 28-year-old with two years and about $43 million left on the contract and said, this would be the easiest guy to restructure. I think we'd all be in agreement that we'd like Grady here until he's 33 or 34 years old. Hell, even 32 years old. So you think about it. If you took these $46 million, extended it out two more years, so you get them under contract, you bump it up to four years and – I don't know, four years and $80 million. You give him an extra $40 million on top of it. You convert this $46 million that he's due right now into about $40 million a signing bonus where you could prorate that over the years and you knock his salary cap number down. Again, I'm not a capologist, but you knock it down 7 eight, ten million $8, 10000000 million. You have more room to be flexible. I think this team is looking, if you're kind of reading the tea leaves just a week into free agency, they're going to be rebuilding this through the draft. I think Arthur Smith believes they've got enough talent right now to win football games this year if you augment it with some younger, talented guys in the draft. Do not be surprised if the Atlanta Falcons trade down and they pick up a couple extra picks and they end up drafting 10, 11, 12 guys. They've already got nine. Maybe you pick up 10 or 11. You add two more picks and pick up a pick in next year's draft and you start to put a youth movement in place uh, for the Atlanta Falcons. But again, no surprise with the way it's going. Congratulations to Keanu Neal, by the way, signing with the Dallas Cowboys. One year, $5 million. I got a chance to know Kiki a little bit in his time, and that was his nickname. I didn't give him that. That was his nickname, his time uh, as a youngster here with the Falcons. Couldn't have found a nicer guy in the secondary off the field. On the field, machine, monster, all of those things. Unfortunately, his career was wrecked a little bit by a couple of knee injuries, but you love to see him land. You hope him and Dan Quinn, you wish him the best, other than they're playing for the Dallas Cowboys. And you want to see, you know, you just want to see a guy like Keanu get a chance to get another contract around the NFL. A couple of things before we get out of here. Dumbest dad in the history of dumb dads. Sean Nerney had this this morning during uh, Belly Up. Father in California, I guess visiting the zoo, maybe the San Diego Zoo, decides to scale or just jump through the barricade with his two-year-old into the elephant exhibit. Now, I don't know about you guys. I've been around elephants. They are not little animals. They are animals that are usually fairly docile until you get into their range and they feel threatened. Well, apparently them seeing this gentleman and his son, this elephant felt threatened and started to run. Where this gentleman, and I use gentleman very loosely, became the dumbest dad of all time. He drops his two-year-old and hightails it out of there. I guess his conscience gets to him somewhere between leaving his two-year-old and the two-year-old being trampled by the elephant. This dude turns around, runs back, grabs his kid. And thankfully, nobody was actually hurt in the zoo. Now, the dude has ended up, (laughs) he got criminal charges, child endangerment, $100,000 in bond and is probably still sitting in a jail cell somewhere. I'll Say this to anybody out there. These barricades are put up for a reason. These are wild animals. And I know I'm talking to you right now like elementary school kids. We have idiots out there like this dad that goes, ooh, let me get my two-year-old closer. What did he honestly think was going to happen? Seriously, did he think suddenly the elephant was just going to walk over and do like they do in the cartoons and put his trunk around the family and pick him up and walk him back and say, hey, this is my house. That's not how this works. So once again, dumb dad of the year. Can't believe that this guy was in the San Diego Zoo doing something like this. We'll be back tomorrow. A lot to get into tomorrow, including a Hawks trade conversation that I wanted to get to as we get to the buying and selling deadline. Are the Hawks buyers? Are they sellers? And we're just 10 days away tomorrow from Brave Spring Training. Till the next time, that's the Stream of Conscious podcast. See you.
1: The warm air, the sounds of baseball, it's got you thinking about hitting the road.
0: A business owner is burning the midnight oil. An at-home dinner date is plating up possibility. And it's all happening under one roof. How? The power of a conversation, like the one John from Integrity Solutions had with First Horizon Bank about his vision for a sustainable mixed-use building. Now it's not just words, it's life. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com John. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC.